0: Welcome to Grace and Peace. I am Vincent Hobby. I'm the pastor. Uh, Grace and Peace exists to bring the healing power of the gospel to every broken place by connecting with God, caring for others, and cultivating in our city for the glory of God. One of our values is uh, discipleship with Monday in mind, and why is this relevant to our uh, reality, is because we live in a world that views Christianity as either irrelevant or as anti-intellectual. You know, Christianity isn't for the smart people. And so, we do these things in order that you may uh, live life together with other people, such as city groups, to know that you are not alone in your thoughts and beliefs. That you may encourage and pray for one another and live out your faith wherever you live, work, and play. We also do this through cohort groups. Which meet for six to eight weeks at a time, and they discuss topics, topics such as race and diversity in the church, men's sexual wholeness, women's sexual wholeness, the Apostles' Creed, then what is coming up this summer and in the future, things like "For the Life of the World," which looks at the big story of Scripture and how it applies to things like work. We will also be covering things like covenant theology, which is the superstructure of the of the Bible. Then we also discuss things such as, uh, in the future we'll discuss things such as ethics, apologetics, culture, and so forth. The goal is to equip you to do ministry in a world that is indifferent or hostile to the faith. We do this by strengthening the muscles of faith in order that you may intellectually engage and understand that even the, the whole of the Western world is built on the intellectual integrity of the Scriptures. But, here we are. Let us continue our study through the book of 1 Peter. It is a book that is encouraging God's one people to stand firm. This is one people made up of both Jew and Gentile. They are to stand firm in the face of suffering and discouragement. The past two weeks, we have looked at the reality of living as a stranger and an alien in this strange time. Last week we saw that Peter sets the stage for the encouragement. He reminds them that their ultimate hope does not depend on them as the individual, but on God in the work of salvation in Jesus Christ. And this empowers faith in the midst of suffering. In our text today, Peter draws our attention to seeing with a new perspective, a better perspective. On how to endure suffering. Peter gives them the interpretive key to understanding their situation. And likewise, our situation. A situation filled with discouragement, pressures from the culture, a pluralistic world where there are many paths presented as a means to glory. Our situation is one where the Christian is cornered to question what is reality where every day there are new theories about justice, economy, and society which threaten to co-opt God's people and their mission. And so, here we are today. And we need to get our lenses, our perspective right in this world. Speaking of reality, uh, there's a slide here. I remember coming across this painting in high school. It is the Dora Maar Seated by Pablo Picasso. To which, as a high school kid, I looked at it and said, what in the world? Has he been doing too many psychedelics? There is something weird going on here. How in the world would any woman be flattered by Pablo Picasso doing that to her? I can imagine her seeing it and saying, well, gee, thanks. (laughs) How wonderful. You captured my essence so well. You know, and it's tricky, right? Like, at my, in my little self, I realized I was probably way too simple to actually get what was going on. There was no way I was going to understand this, right? And so, it was. I just resigned myself to either faking it, like, oh yeah, don't you get it? Look how great this is. He's a genius. <laughs> what? And so, it wasn't until I was well past college that a mentor, pastor, friend of mine tells me, Vince, let me tell you this, right? And we're talking about something else, right? Because my perspective was messed up. He says this, Vince, you see, you think that if you don't understand why this is happening, then you think that maybe the critical piece of information doesn't exist. But rather, you need to think like looking at a Picasso. You need to realize, and I'm sitting there going, wait a second, this is all my high school nightmares. I'm no longer going to have to fake it. He says this, you want to understand Picasso? You need to realize what he's doing. You need to have a better vision of what's going on. And what is going on then? is that at the same time that he's painting a portrait of her face forward, he's also painting the profile at the same time. He's painting her side profile and the, and the front-on face at the same time, to which the light turns on, and I go, Oh, and now I feel super intellectual. No, but... This is what's going on. There are many theories, there are many things going in the world. And we need to understand why are there pressures? Why is there suffering for the Christian in our beliefs? It isn't until we get a better perspective about what's going on, are we able to navigate the terrain of where we are today. And so Peter says in our text concerning the salvation, Primarily, the salvation and deliverance that is to come from the next situation, which is the which is the, the deliverance from the situation, It's the vindication of his faith when Jesus comes back. The prophets, he says, which are Old Testament prophets, primarily, who prophesize about the grace here, which is used as a favored position in Christ, empowering for them to understand. It was that was to be yours. They searched and inquired. Carefully. What were what were they inquiring about? And they were inquiring what person or time, the circumstances, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So we focus here. Peter tells us this. Peter tells us if you're gonna make sense of your situation in the world, church. And as a Christian, you must see it through the lens of Christ, by the enabling of the Spirit. Jesus gives the Christian a better view, historically and cosmically. Jesus gives us a better view, historically and cosmically. It is the scriptures or in the scriptures that we gain this understanding, not from a blogger, Not from a podcaster, not from cable news, talking head, Joe Schmo, not from a political pundit, but from the Spirit testifying and making his appeal through Scripture. You want help in this time? You want to understand what's going on? You want to have a nice file folder to put things in neatly? You need to understand that that help comes from the God of the Bible not from the message on cable news. A better viewing Christ will make sense of our sufferings in trying times. It will make sense of our struggles against sin. It will make sense of our dark and dry days where God seems to maybe be a thousand miles away. It enables you to face sufferings by realizing the glories that are to come and have a right understanding and framework for the sufferings that you may feel now. So let's look at this historically. Okay, we'll nerd it up. We'll look at history. Let's look at this. You know, we got to look at this through the lens of the audience here in the letter. He's speaking to Jew and Gentiles, so this is a new episode in the series of redemption. This is redemptive history, is what he's looking at, and in and through redemptive history, the prophets were speaking about this climax to the story. They had God's word revealed to them, and they made it plain, and they searched and inquired about the Christ, the climax of the story, the main character of the story. So how does this whole story of the Bible tie together? The Bible is a single story that unfolds and turns or is girded up by something called covenants. You're like, oh my gosh, he's going to go full Sunday school nerd on us. Yes, I am. Okay, So covenants are relationships which God establishes and initiates with man through a mediator with obligations and blessings and curses to carry along his mission of salvation. J.I. Packer says it this way. If you want to understand the Bible, study the covenants. Better yet, if you want to understand God, study the covenants. The whole story of the Bible, heck, the world, unfolds in these covenants. These covenants carry the story of God's redemption. The Bible starts with a relationship established by God with Adam in the garden. Adam falls, he rebels, sin enters through his rebellion, and then sin acts as a power over humanity through death. It is a corruption on all our faculties, even our thinking, reasoning, our desires. are all corrupted by sin. And then it is actually, and it is talking also about our actual transgression. So sin becomes ubiquitous. But God makes a promise in Genesis 3.15. So that first part, Genesis 1 through 3.14, we would call that conveniently something uh, like a covenant of works. In which... God was going to confirm Adam, if he kept covenant, unto life forever. But he failed. So in Genesis 3.15, we have the beginning of something called, ready for this, little nerds just like me, the covenant of grace. Right? And so, I will, it says this, I will put enmity between you, speaking of the serpent and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head. And you shall bruise his heel. From this point in Scripture, we begin to have this foreshadowing going on. Foreshadowing of the fulfillment of redemption. This Christ figure. From the beginning, someone was going to be the representative of the people. Someone was going to crush the head of the serpent. We see this being carried on, then, through the covenants of Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, the new covenant, and all those finding its substance in the person of Jesus Christ. Notice, though, there's always suffering prior to salvation. Okay? Noah goes through the flood. Abraham is made a wanderer. Moses has to deal with a crazy group of people who will wander and do ridiculous things through in the wilderness. Okay? They had to live through things like plagues and Passover. Then David, he was a man of war. The new covenant suffering happens in Christ, in which he personifies the sufferings of the people. And they are then arisen and ascended with him. There is an interesting construction, right? Why do I say this? We share this. So here's this interesting construction. And you're probably saying to yourself, oh man, he is actually going full-bore nerd here. This is great. So... where it says, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Notice here, it is in the plural, the sufferings. It isn't just one suffering of Christ. And then it also says the glories of Christ. Well, isn't there just one glory for Christ if it's just him? It is not talking about just sufferings for Jesus Christ personally and individually. What is going on is he is saying that there is a shared suffering between God's people and their mediatorial representative, the representative of the covenant, that he shares in their sufferings. Also, that we share in his glories. So, what does this mean? How does this boil down to you? It means that the Old Testament people who suffered, Christ suffered with them. It means this. Those dark, difficult, hard days that you have. The grief. The loss. It means that Jesus Christ doesn't ignore them. He feels them as well. And he also enjoys the glories of his people. Jesus, as a representative, personifies the story of his people, meaning in him he really does live the life of the people. So far, Paul so so much so that Paul says in, says about says Paul in in Acts says this about Jesus. Jesus shows up, and Paul Saul says Saul Saul, why are you persecuting me? When Paul was per- when was per- Paul persecuting the church, it means that Jesus was taking that personally, that He was suffering with them in the persecutions that Saul was was inflicting on the people. Paul later says in Colossians that He is filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What does that mean? It means that your trials, all those sufferings, all those persecutions of the church at large, the church in the world, Jesus feels them too. Jesus says to these, to, about these things, about this new vision, about these sufferings that you have. He says this. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see. Or in Matthew eleven, eleven, speaking of John the Baptist. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist Yet. Yet. The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Or further in Luke 24, Jesus explains to a couple of men is that in beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Hebrews 1 says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. It means this, your sufferings, Jesus feels them. And in your time now, you have a blessed, privileged position, because you see that it is through sufferings that glories come. How does this help a Christian in our world? Historically, you do have that better vantage point. You see the terrain. You know the challenges to your faith. You find yourself, though, nourished and strengthened to live the life of faith because you know that these aren't by accident. This is how the glories come. How are you empowered? Look at Jesus. The scriptures are the rule to direct us how we are to glorify and enjoy God. The Bible points us to Jesus. The prophets searched. They inquired. They spent time looking into the Word of God to figure out who this Jesus was. It was in the Scriptures that they got a clearer view about God in the person of Jesus. Sacraments now work as the words of the covenant of grace Jesus made visible. You want to experience God? Anyone want to experience God? Has it gone dry for you? Here's the challenge. Go to the Scriptures. Because there Jesus is revealed. You will find your vision getting clearer, your resolve stronger, because you will see His sufferings and His glories, and you will be able to frame your sufferings and your glories in His story. His story will become your story. And I have to confess, in the past few weeks, I've felt pretty spiritually dry. It's been real hard. It's been real difficult to make sense of things. It feels like God's a thousand miles away from me at times. And so what do I do? Do I uh, enjoy some spring skiing in order to experience God? Do I uh, hike the incline until my lungs burst and then I get that really cool runner's high at the top? No. If I want to experience God, I turn to the scriptures. So I've just been doing something simple that I've been doing for a long time. And I just pray the Psalms four times a day for 15 minutes at a time. And does does God like somehow zap me with this feeling? No. But in it, what I have done is I have begun to see Jesus clear. And so goes for you. This is where we find God since scripture is the very act of God in the world, it's a product of God go to it look into the scriptures if you're going to experience God let me put it this way you want to experience God historically? you want to experience God really? Uh, come to the sacrament and eat feast on God and you'll experience him nourishing you the way food nourishes your body, if you take it in faith. Now let's look at this cosmically. In verse 12, it says The prophets preach good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Spirit is one who reveals Christ, opens our eyes to see Him, love Him, know Him. Meaning that the gospel is the satisfaction for the cravings of your soul. In fact, the gospel is the satisfaction for the cravings of this entire world. Angels, right? They're supposed to be the superior messenger beings, hosts of heaven. But yet, if they're completely satisfied in seeing God, why in the world would it say that they crave, long, yearn even... They long to see, you know, we kind of lose out on that word. When it means long, it means that they are virtually like lusting to look at this. They feel that tension, that pull, that desire to look into the Gospels. Because in it, they see, they experience grace. They see it is more beautiful than anything else that they can possibly experience. So they look into this good news. It is strength for the sufferer, the one who feels their faith going wayward. Here, nowadays, we follow whatever social media influencer recommends. But here, Peter is saying, ha, even the angels who get to see God, they want to look into the good news of the gospel. Peter is saying, forget the social media influencers pushing the next experience. Here's the real deal. Better than anything you could ever put on Instagram, it is found in the person of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. Acts 17, Paul is preaching and contends that even non-Christian voices, the irreligious voices, they are looking for the satisfaction in God. He cites pop culture. He cites the talking heads of his time. He quotes people like Epimenides or Aratus. And they were like, you know, you know, they're poets. And so, poets were really cool. Maybe in the early 1900s, you know, people would go to, like, um, they didn't even have coffee shops. They, you know, they'd go out and drink and they'd listen to some poet, you know, just kind of shooting it, and, you know, like waxing eloquent. Instead, we listen to hip hop artists. So, here, Paul quotes Epimenides and Aratus. They're the hip hop artists of the Greek world. And he contends. That in that, all of their searching, all of their hopes to have a better life all point to the desire and to the experience that that is only found in knowing God through Jesus Christ. God has come to be known in the person of Jesus. For many years, our world has been dominated by the belief that the sciences and technology will give us all the answers. It will bring us to paradise. We'll progress. We'll become the best people ever. You know, science and reason became the new authorities. Became the new authorities over the church and ancient narratives. To which Nietzsche famously said, God is dead and we've killed him. But nowadays, we've gotten past even science and reason. And so I would say that we haven't so much killed God with science and reason or technology, but rather we let him die from neglect. We've moved on from science and reason. We've moved on from religion. But yet, we haven't done anything for the desires of our hearts, the desires to be satisfied. We can't outdo that. Meaning this, the modern person who rejected Christianity because of science and reason, they try to experience God through performance, by technology. Many of of us are influenced to do the same through self-expression today. Meaning that we come to know the truth of reality by being the true you. Rather, instead of having an authority of science and reason, we want no authority at all. We only want the authority of self. Only we fail to realize that this no-authority approach is really just a new authority. It's the authority of the culture, this wind of the world. It is one that is predominantly Western, post-Enlightenment, generally white, upper-middle class. You see, either way, the way of the modernist through science and reason, and the way of the post through self-expression, has failed to give us what we crave. The experience of God himself. Let me put it this way. You want to know something interesting? For the past 170 years, church has really changed course, you know, like it's 170 years, Vince, what do you expect? No, really, uh, it's given way to the rise of expressive and experiential worship. It started in the Second Great Awakening. Second Great Awakening said it doesn't matter so much about the content of your sermons and services, but it is whether or not you experience God. And so they kind of boiled it down to a science. If you were to see it this way, if you were to say it this way, Then people will respond. You'll get the experience of God without the substance of God. And so, what has happened today in 170 years since the Second Great Awakening? Well, it has become less about the Word and Sacrament and more about the experience. Hence, why you see church services look more like rock shows and TED Talks and less about the truth and substance of Jesus and His Word and Sacrament. It's why there's less theological rich singing. Things have changed. We've we've overbitten on modernism, and there's this overhang, and now we're continuing to chow down on the postmodern expression. We've moved from performance, I mean, yeah, we've moved from from performing and trying to get things right into self-expression. So, let's get real. If you struggle to feel God, it's because probably your culture has tricked you into believing that experience by performance or expression is the assurance and ground of your salvation. And so if you sit there and you say to yourself, you know, I just, I just don't experience God. I just don't feel Him. Well, you've been tricked by the culture to say, ha ha. You don't feel Him? Then He doesn't exist. Do you understand how that trick works. You see, rather, Christianity says that Jesus shows himself, reveals himself, gives himself, and you take him in. It is the cosmic satisfaction for your soul. It is no longer about performance or expression, but by receiving him. You see, the modern man is more about your service to God, but in Christianity, it's about God saving you. Word and sacrament, they both point you to and unite as a sign and symbol of the substance of Jesus Christ. God made himself visible, made himself huggable, made himself killable, and he is raised in glory. Let me put it this way. You want to experience God? Stop performing. Stop expressing. Receive him. Inquire. Search, eat him. Are you still looking for ways to answer the maladies of the world, of this world? And that is why all kinds of different solutions come up for maladies in this world, isn't it? Think about critical race theory. Think about conservative politics. Think about progressive politics. Think about romanticism, Eastern mysticism. Some, some are secular, some are religious, but all have something to commend. Yeah, sure. Because they are image bearers experiencing God's world, but they are also corrupted by sin. No one system will be able to give you a satisfying solution to the maladies of this world. Only Christ does that. And we anticipate his return by working within our spheres of influence to work and to bring alignment between the order of this world and the one to come. Because it is his kingdom come and his will be done. Today, the desire to experience and know God persists. Some try it by adventure. Some try to get it through education. Some through athletic exploits before you kids trying to make mom and dad happy and pleased with you. Some through finding that romantic partner. Others through psychedelics. Yes, I've had to talk to people about psychedelics for the past 15 years. You shouldn't do them. If you want to experience God, read his word. Some through rigorous religious observance. We all see this pattern, though, in the scriptures. And through each one of these recommendations, you got to suffer in order to get the glory. But Jesus says, I'm the one who suffered. And he suffers with you. And we all get the glory together in him. There's a spiritual craving in the world, and every competing truth claim to the solution of the world may sustain you for a bit, but in the end, they're inferior to the superior substance of Christ. Jesus is better than any talking head on cable news. Jesus is better than any newfangled theory about the maladies and remedies of this world. Jesus is better than your yoga routine. Jesus is better than some money-making scheme. Jesus is better than any technology. Jesus is better than any YouTube, or YouTube video or influencer. Jesus is the better Adam, the true offspring of the woman, who was bruised by the serpent and went under the sword of divine justice so his people can enter paradise. Jesus is the Great ark, which takes the battering of the waves of sin to save his people. Jesus is the true and greater Noah, who God appoints to save his family. Jesus is the greater Abraham, because he is the the offspring promised who will bring blessing to the world. Jesus is the greater Israel of the Exodus, who suffered under the reign of an oppressive regime. He is the greater Moses, who leads his people out of Egypt through the sufferings of the wilderness and into the promised land. Jesus is the better David, who sits in forever on his kingdom come and is now coming. Jesus is the greater return from exile in which he fully restores the glory to the people by the uniting God and his people. Jesus is the greater end for racism, both systemic and individual, because in his flesh he has torn down the dividing wall of hostility instead of two men making one new man in him. In him there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female for You are all one in Christ. Jesus is the true end to nationalism because that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the greater hope for the world because all the suffering for the sins of the world came crushing down on him. And on the third day he rose again in victory over the grave. This is what angels long to look into You want to experience God? Look into the Scriptures. Feast on Him in the sacrament. There you will find rest. You will find grace. Not performance. Not more expression. You will find strength in the framework to understand the hard days of being a Christian. On the dry days. And on the days where you feel pressure. You feel doubt and you feel shame, let us pray. Almighty and glorious God, meet us in your word. Help us to experience you in truth by your grace. Lord, give us strength that we may feast and be nourished On you in the sacrament. Meet with us now. In Christ's name. Amen.